I'm going to read Proverbs 31, 10 through the end of the chapter. You can look on with your, your Bible, or you can look up at the screen. It says, An excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands on the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hand to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself, and clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known at the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, and she delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teachings of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for these words from the Proverbs to wrap up this book. And I pray that we really do would do what Solomon ask that Proverbs would do, which was that the wise would gain knowledge and that we would grow in, in wisdom and instruction and it would give prudence to the simple and we'd receive wisdom and, and righteousness and just, justice and equity. Do that for us here, God. I know this passage has been cited throughout the ages to justify things and to call out other things. God, I pray that we would have a wise mind as we enter this passage. And God, may I um, deal wisely and preach wisely from this, Lord Jesus, and humbly in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, my name is Blair. I'm the one that ate the grub. Uh, I'm an elder here at uh, Church of the Redeemer and have the great opportunity to preach time to time. And so we're wrapping up a series on Proverbs. If you're new We've been going through that for several months, and um, really I want to give a bit of an overview on Proverbs as it relates to the other wisdom books of the Scriptures, and then we're going we're gonna to dive into uh, verses 10 through 31. But if you really look, there's several wisdom books of the Bible. There's Ecclesiastes, there's Job, and Proverbs. And each one of those have a different facet. So a theologian once said that Proverbs really gives you an understanding of the created order. That there is a way things that the world operates that 
people operate and that God's created this order. And if you follow this order, good things will come. But if you read Ecclesiastes, you start to see that, this, that sin has affected this order and it's fallen and it's confused it. And if you even read Job, you see that God's order is, he, he's working it sovereignly, but sometimes it's hidden. And so we really need a good diet of all three of those to understand wisdom. Because if you just walk away reading Proverbs, you'll think A plus B equals C, and therefore if I do this, then I will get X outcome. Not taking into account that God's wisdom is much greater than ours, and that sometimes that order is fallen by sin. And so as we go into Proverbs 31, a very charged chapter in this day and age, um, let's, let's keep that in mind. So Proverbs 31, I, I chose not to go verses 1 through 9. It's really a king who's getting advice from his, his, his mother. And she says, here's some things you should do as a king, and here's some things you shouldn't do. Some people have even pointed to Proverbs 31, the, the passage that we know, 10 through 31, as she's also saying a continuation, and this is the kind of woman you should marry. Other commentators think it's Solomon that he wrote this passage, and that he's actually thinking of Bathsheba whenever he wrote this passage. Whichever, it is a good passage to look at, to say, and, and it speaks to all of us. It's going to be speaking to children, to boys, girls, to men, women, to married, singles. And that's actually how I want to divide it. I want to, my first, if you're, if you're taking notes, I've got three sections. One is, what is the takeaway for wives and females? The second one is, what is the takeaway for males and husbands? And the last one, what is the takeaway for us all? So what's the takeaway for, for wives and females, for males and husbands, and then for all of us? So let's get started. This, this, this passage is really a poem. And so if we read it in the Hebrew, we would see that each section starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And then from that, he gives different images or virtues that this woman should have. So it's a poem. It's an artificial structure. But some of the, the takeaway for wives and females. Now, automatically, whenever I read this, I could... I imagined I heard two, one of two things. One, either the scribbling of pen and paper or the popping of a wine bottle. And what I mean by that is that there's sometimes there's women out there that can say, oh, good, great, this is a map. This is how, how I'm supposed to act. And now I must do everything as a checklist of what this woman does. And then there's other women that might hear this passage and go, there's no way I can live up to this. So give me a half a glass of wine, and I'll just sit back and listen, right? Well, both women are right in one sense, and both women are wrong in one sense. This is a map of how, a map, a, a calling of what a woman of God should look like. It's interesting, this is a, also a, a woman of wisdom should look this way. But at the same time, these are some applications. Remember, Proverbs is, is not absolute truth. In the sense of it's saying that this is the way that truth might manifest itself in certain situations. But the tr it can, a woman of God can manifest herself in many other ways that, that's just listed in this passage. Okay, And I would even say to the woman that is likely to roll her eyes at this passage and say, I can't live up, which you can't, is that doesn't stop you from trying to. 
any more than 1 Corinthians 13, the passage about love, should stop you from loving. No one lives up to 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't keep an account. We don't say, there's no way I can do that, therefore I'm not going to love. We say, no, this is what God calls me to, and by his grace, I'm moving towards that. That We should handle this passage the same way. So I got a few takeaways, I think, for... Uh, for females or for wives. One, you'll notice that the relationships are concentric, okay? Uh, that you can really look at if you study that the very center of the circle is uh, her relationship with God. And then out from that, another circle that's a little bit bigger, her relationship with her husband. And then her relationship to her household, which is her family. Outside of that, her servants, and outside of that, the poor, concentrically you move out from there and so um you 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 can and i'll trust you you go back and look at that but relationships are concentric and that even gives you a value system as far as where you should spend your time where you should spend your energies and that really every circle spills over into the next and so if you're if you're helping the poor it should really grow out of your relationship ultimately with your god if you're if you have a, a good marriage it should result from your relationship with your god and that your marriage should be a platform for a family. And your family should be a platform for helping others. And so relationships should be concentric. Secondly, that you'll notice that she's growing uh, an entrepreneur or, or in industry. It says that she was sowing wool. And then she buys fields. She plants vineyards. And then she goes into trading. Um, each of those are growing in entrepreneur um, industry. Um, it, it, most likely because she was clothed in purple, she was dealing with the Phoenicians, which I think the Phoenicians actually means the people who dealt with purple, which were people were Canaanites. And so she, she had a, eventually had a shipping business that was involved with many other people. She had a lot of industry there. Again, as, as an application to you, it doesn't mean that you need to go plant a vineyard. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to make your own bed sheets. But it does mean that you should give yourself to, to not slackness, but it should be to industry in some way. Um, I'll just note, notice a third point. Notice in verse 22 that she was dressed in fine linen, that she was not afraid to dress in nice clothes, that she, she actually dressed up in verse, verse 22, um, she makes bed coverings for herself, and her clothing is fine linen and purple. Purple is very expensive in ancient times. And so um, it's interesting that uh, we had someone dressing purple today. Um, Tim, would you stand up? Yeah, there you go. So very, uh, Tim, uh, a couple thousand years ago would be considered rich because of that. Do we have a couple other, another elder here? Yes, Carol, um, I think you have purple on too. And uh, Miss McAteer. So we have a lot of people dressed in purple. And now we think of purple as no different than any other color. But in ancient time, it really was considered um, one of uh, an expensive clothing. And sometimes I'll see believers think that because they wear cheap clothing, that makes them more righteous than if they wear fine clothing. It's almost that I see some people, some women that are, or afraid to dress nice. But this lady is not. I don't want to get too deep into this because I know that this could create lots of controversy. And just so you know, I've already changed my email. Um, 
as a result of this. So um, notice the fourth point, that she's very hands-on. Verse 13, verse 16, verse 17, and verse 19, the word hands and arms are invoked. She's working with her hands. That means she's she's diligent. She's not lazy. Um, The Proverbs are very clear that toil will bring wealth. Okay? Again, toil will bring wealth. Now, it doesn't mean if you work hard, you will be wealthy because we got to keep in mind Ecclesiastes says, but sin enters in. There are thorns and thistles. But in general, the, the rule is that if you work hard, it will bring wealth. And you see that with her. Uh, the last thing you see with her, she's very generous to the needy. Um, um, over and over it says that she helps. Proverbs nineteen seventeen says, He who is gracious to the poor lends to the Lord. Now that verse has always intrigued me. It says, if you're generous to the poor, you lend to the Lord. And we're taught, especially in you know, reform circles, that we don't have a meritorious-based view of, of God, right? So he doesn't owe us anything. He gives us salvation. But this verse says, if you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord. So in a sense, not from a salvation standpoint, but it's pointing to that God owes you something when you give to the poor. Not from salvation, but there's something else mysteriously there. And if you even look in the New Testament, it says that uh, the Council of Jerusalem, when it's, they sent out the missionaries, they said, only remember, when you take the gospel out, remember the widows and orphans. They're saying, remember the poorest, that somehow the gospel, as we give the good news to others, we, it, it, we've got to help the poor with that. Those are married in some way, in a mysterious way. But that the outworking of wisdom, the outworking of godliness is giving to the poor. Well, I, I, an example I want to give is Katie Luther, um, you know, um, Martin Luther's wife. Um, Katie Luther was a nun, um, and she no doubt read the writings of Martin Luther. He was, he was much older than her. He was, um, let's see, 20, yeah, he was 21 years older than her. And so she, when she went to the convent at age five, and started to memorize Latin, and started to learn Latin, and started to learn Hebrew and Greek. And um, as she got older, no doubt she read some of the, the different writings of Martin Luther. And as a result of it, one of his writings uh, was a protest that, that there should be, that priest and nuns should be celibate, that they should be married. And so as a result, 12 nuns escaped out of their, their convent, and she was one of them. They, they actually jumped in these barrels of uh, herring, fish barrels, and they rode out of the, the convent one night under the guise of uh, just a, a merchant taking them out. And then over the next two years, um, Martin Luther and others helped find them husbands, but there was one that they couldn't find a husband for because she was pretty, she was um, not tempestuous, but she was um, she was a warrior-type woman. And so I think a lot of men were intimidated by her. Her name was Katie Von Bora. And so um, after the two years, Martin Luther really prayed about it and said, well, God, maybe you're calling me to this. So at age 46, they got married. And so um, if you know the history of it, then the uh, German government gave them um, what used to be a convent. Or a, it, was a, it was called the Black Coy, or the Black, what was it? I uh, don't remember exactly the name of it, but it was this huge, this huge facility that they gave um, from her, about the size of a modern-day hotel. 
and so it had many rooms in it. And so Katie would buy land. She had vineyards. She had cows. She had family, and different people came and lived with them, and she was a, bar, a part of keeping it going. And so she was an amazing woman. In fact, she was probably the only woman that could talk to Martin Luther because whenever he would get out of hand, and uh, she called him Dr. Um, Dr. Luther sometimes, and he would get out of hand and think he was very sometimes prideful, she would put him back in his place by speaking either Greek or Hebrew or Latin to him. And then he knew that here's a woman that's definitely my equal. And so she was involved in some of the theological discussions at Table Talk and other things. So I would, I would encourage you to read about her life. Now, she wasn't all, she wasn't all virtuous. She worried. She was called a worrywart. She worried about all the things all the time. And so that she even woke up at four, oftentimes four in the morning, because she was worrying. And she would go, and that's how she got so much work done, is that she would start the work there. Now, I hope her life doesn't intimidate you. I hope it encourages you, just like this passage. But a few of those takeaways for wives and females, that each of these, um, that there's many more applications that's just listed here in Proverbs 31. Don't think, again, that you have to make your own bed sheets to really be a woman of God. There's many, this is at least, but, but it expands itself from this, okay? That a woman of God is, in essence, that this, all these things listed here in Proverbs 31 should grow out of a heart of wisdom. And wisdom will manifest itself multiple ways. Now, some of the takeaways for husbands and males. First, you should trust your wife rather than control her. Verse 11, it says, in, um, The heart of her husband trusts her, and he will have no lack of gain. Now, that, that's interesting. This passage contrasts with early in Proverbs when it talks about the woman, the adulteress, the married woman who goes after other men. And one of the things she says to one of the men that are passing by the street, she says, my husband's gone for a while, and he's actually taking a bag of money with him. Come into my house with me. So she's, she's uh, an adulteress. She's actually luring other men in, but she says, my husband's taking a bag of money with him, maybe because he doesn't trust her. And clearly that passage in Proverbs earlier shows that he can't trust her. But here it says that the heart of the husband trusts her. He's not trying to control her because she's very, she's very much as equal in, in many ways. Which goes to the second point. Treat your wife as a partner, not an intern. Okay? That she, God calls her to be a helpmate, to be beside the husband. Throughout history, women have been objectified. In, in many different ways. And so this passage shows none of that. She's beautiful, but beautiful for all the right reasons. She, she, she is apt, she is able, and she is very formidable. The third thing for men is that you're to build up or edify your wife in the presence of others or in private. Uh, verse 28 and 29 says this. Notice there it says, Her children rise up and call her blessed, or her husband also praises her. Many women have done excellent, but you surpass them all. I, there's not a day that passes that I'm not glad that I married Stacy Skeen. She is, we've been married 17 years, and she, I trust her. She is a, an amazing woman. I'm going to get into why I, God, she caught my eye. But she is an amazing woman, and, and I, I trust her. And I'm able to now go out and be strong in the world because of my trust of her. Think about this. If you're trying to build a house in, in a place that was prone to earthquakes, 
it would be hard to build it in standard means because it would constantly, you, you'd build maybe the, the foundation and you'd come back the next day and it's cracked. Or you'd get the foundation in and then frame it, but then you come back and it's fallen down because there's always movement. There, you even distrust the very earth that you're building on. Well, if you do trust, think of a woman of Proverbs 31 is a stable boundary, a stable foundation for a man to go out on. So he has no lack of gain. Um, well, I, I'd say this, that one reason I trust my wife is because whenever I really want honest advice, I'll go to her. She is a velvet brick. Um, she is hard, but she is very kind in how she does it. It's kind of like having bubble wrap around a rock uh, when I'm married to her, is that if I need something, uh, honest advice, she gives it to me, but in a gracious way. I trust her. Well, another point, a takeaway for, for males or for husbands, is that uh, you don't fear a strong woman. And it's interesting, if you look at verse 10, and I'm not sure what your, your version is, but verse 10 says, An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. Does anybody have a, a different version that says an excellent wife? Shout it out if you do, or raise your hand if you have a different version that, that says something different than excellent. Virtuous, okay. I think noble is another one. Now, I'm not sure what you think about when you think excellent, um, but sometimes, automatically my, my, my mind goes to the Simpsons with Mr. Burns, and that was an expression he'd say is excellent. And it was kind of this, this maniacal expression that he had. Well, it's definitely not that. Excellent, I don't know if you're thinking, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you know that. Um, it's definitely not that. It's definitely not excellent. You may be thinking, oh, someone who makes checklists and gets it all done. Well, it's much more than that. Um, if you actually look in the word in the Hebrew, it's uh, kayil. Um, it, it actually, which I thought would be a great name for uh, a daughter, kayil. But it means strength, wealth, army. All in all, it's words that are associated with a warrior, a woman that is strong. And and some say that other passages or other versions of the Bible have, have misrepresented an excellent wife, or at least when we hear excellent, we don't think warrior. We don't think army. But that's, that's what God's saying. A woman like that is excellent. She's far more valuable than jewels. And I even looked in that word, in the Hebrew, and the word for jewels is coral. And in the, in the ancient time, they had something called red coral. It was also called red gold because it was so valuable. And it was coral that was washed up on the Mediterranean coast, and it was red. And sometimes it was currency, and it was very valuable. So it's saying a woman that is formidable is, is, is valuable. So somehow, Proverbs 31 is more like Wonder Woman than it is like one of, the Bennett, one of the Bennett girls of Pride and Prejudice. Or Eowyn, if, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, the woman who killed the, the, the witch king. Um, that Someone very strong. I'm not saying she has to, to know martial arts, but I'm saying that a woman that is noble, that is excellent, is very formidable. And she, you know her presence. I hope that frees you up, especially women that feel like you feel outside the box of a typical American Christian evangelical woman. 
It's much greater than that. Don't be narrowed in by that. Go to the original text and look at it. But men, we are not to fear a strong woman. Encourage that strength. Number five, don't be deceived. And this is probably the crux of what I've taken away historically from Proverbs 31, is don't be deceived, men. Um, We shouldn't be so influenced by the physical beauty as we are. Because verse 30 says, Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Let's let's unpack that for a little bit. Oftentimes, um, physical beauty is camouflages a woman's character. So as men, we naturally, we see a beautiful woman, we're drawn to her. We're drawn to her like, again, Lord of the Rings reference, the ring. Have you ever noticed the ring? People were drawn to that ring. It somehow had this captivating effect on them. And so beauty does that, physical beauty does that for, for a man. And oftentimes, wrongly, we accept and reject and rate women based on their appearance. Maybe they just are adorned out on the outside in, in nice clothing. Maybe they are, they, they, they are very diligent, but yet on the inside they don't have a heart for God. And God calls us here to look at godliness and character rather than just beauty. He doesn't say beauty is of no value. He just says that he inverts it. Now, I've got a little demonstration here, a little visual aid. And uh, Nathan... Lynn made this for me. I told him if he could make me a pyramid here. And so, this is not Legos. What is this? What is it? Duplos, which are bigger than Legos. Okay. Um, But notice this pyramid, three different colors here. And I really think, and and at the top is Jesse from from, uh, Toy Story. And so, very apt. Um, But notice three different layers. And I think that is a picture of what God says that how we criteria that we should look at a woman and say, is she valuable? And, I, and, and take that, I don't mean that, is she valuable? I think we're all valuable in the sense that we're made in the image of God. But if a woman of God, this is what we should base it on. First, on the basis that she should be a woman of God, she fears the Lord. And if we know in Proverbs that if you fear the Lord, that's the beginning of wisdom. So a woman that's truly wise has a relationship with God. Because the relationship with God is the beginning of wisdom. And that should be the foundation of the value system of what we see true eternal beauty is. And then secondly, her personality or her character. It says here charm. Charm can be deceitful. Because someone can be very nice in one way, but then with another set of people, they cannot be. And so charm or her appearance or how she acts her character, you've got to be around somebody to start to know what kind of person are they. And for me, this gets into a little bit of my relationship with Stacy, is that we had the opportunity to date over four years. And we went on multiple mission trips together. And I was able to see her in lots of different situations, interact with lots of different people, and to, and to see her as a friend in many different situations, to see how she reacts and see the constancy of her character. And then finally, the last is beauty. And so what, what we oftentimes do is we invert this and think, well, this can, this can stand up. But it won't. A relationship won't stand up if you base men, if you base how you choose a woman or how you assess if a woman is to be 
is, is going to be your wife if it's based mainly on beauty, physical appearance, because that is fleeting. You have to go to the deeper and say, what is, is, does she love God? And that's the reason I asked Stacy to marry me. Is she, I, I saw her as God gave me an insight into her soul, and I said, I think she loves God more than any other girl I know. And so Stacy and I dated over four years, and now if you read the pastor's message, you kind of, one, because we're married, you know the end of the story. But a little bit of the pastoral message that I put in the bulletin is that when I went to ask Stacy to marry me the very first time, she said no. And it's because of, I had, been, I had, a, I had this kind of view oftentimes. I struggled with this kind of view over those period of four years. Because I would date her, and then whenever I would lose that kind of, that, that feeling of infatuation, which I thought was love was leaving, I broke up with her and then dated someone else. And then we got back together, and either I think we disagree who broke up the second time. Um, but she said she broke up with me, I broke up with her, but we broke up, and then I started dating someone else. And then we got together again, and we started dating. And then we broke up. I think you broke up with me that time, because you saw that, again, I was wayward in my thinking. And, and I remember when, when that happened, the third time we broke up, I said, okay, maybe I made a mistake here. But I'm going to, God, if you would teach me really what love is and what a woman of God is and change my thinking, which is why we did the different readings that we did and the different verses that we read in, this, in, in the service is because God does have a standard that we should praise a woman of God first above her beauty. And we should not look at beauty because oftentimes physical beauty is a camouflage that covers really the substance of a woman. And so when I went to Stacy to ask her to marry me, we weren't even dating at that point. I went to her, and she's like, what are you doing? And um, I said, well, I, I just want to tell you, and I'd never told her in those four years I loved her because I didn't want, at least was wise enough that I don't want to say I love you without putting a ring on her finger. And so I had a ring. I had everything there, and I said, will you marry me? And she's like, no, what, what are you talking about? I said, well, I love you. And she was just un, unaffected by that. And I said, I've talked to your parents. And, um, and she said, did you talk to my mom? I go, no. She goes, well, you haven't talked to my parents. And because um, I have to, if you can convince my mom, you, you, you convince me. She, and, and actually, I, we don't have time to show up, but I actually had a hidden camera. And I've got a video of me asking her and her saying no. It's beautiful. <laughs> because I'm sweating bullets. And the, one of the things she says in the, the video, she says, I'd rather hope for the dream of a man of God and be single the rest of my life than settle for anything less. Because I wasn't being the man that could actually go and get the Proverbs 31 kind of woman. And, and so she said, you're going to have to convince the council in my life. And there was actually six women that had been given, that were friends of hers, that knew me, knew her, and knew Jesus. And so I said, all right, I'm going to start meeting with them. So the next day, I actually wrote Stacy a letter and wrote out all six ladies' names and then put on a, a how, thought I thought, how hard I thought the conversation was going to go based on a Richter scale. And so, um, and then put the date that I was going to meet with those. So I met with all six women and just said to them, I'm a changed man. Because at that point, I'd gone, I'd gone away and met with God and, um, and just confessed my sin of this upside-down view of what beauty is. 
And, and one by one, they all came back to Stacy and said, he's a changed man. And it's not just that words, you know, sometimes we say words are cheap, but words that are backed up by action, that's what's valuable. And they were starting to see the action of my life. And so I told Stacy, I said, there's a 50-50 chance I knew that you wouldn't say yes to me. So if you need two months, if you need two years, I'm, I'll just go get a job uh, here. In, and we were, I was in Greensboro at the time. I'll go get a job and I'll wait for you. And uh, we, we started to date after that. And within two months, I uh, asked her to marry me and she said yes. And so, um, but when I, when I actually asked her to marry me, I gave her three things. I gave her, and some uh, people who grew up in the 90s would know this reference, I gave her a pair of running shoes because I was the runaway groom, so to speak. I gave her a pair of running shoes and said, you can have my shoes. I'm not going anywhere anymore. I gave her um, a pair of glasses and I said, because you will shape how I view life more than any other earthly relationship in this world. And then I gave her some Play-Doh. And the Play-Doh, I said, this is, this is my ego. I said, you can shape how I view myself more than any other person in this world. And I said, those, and I gave her all my journal entries of over the last four years. I went through all my journals and copied those and made a book out of it and said, this is what I think of you growingly of you are that Proverbs 31 woman. You're a woman of God, and you should be honored, and I'm sorry that I didn't honor you sooner. And so Proverbs 31.30 holds a huge place in my heart of, of, of our marriage because from that, God has borne fruit from our marriage. But I really think that um, if you can invest, you can choose to invest in something valuable, which I think is how God says He's saying this is valuable. If you invest, if you invest in a woman of God, then it will pay you dividends throughout the rest of your life. Um, a, a quick comparison here: in 1980, if you invested thousand dollars into Apple, um, Apple um, the stock, it would have now it'd be well over five million dollars. That thousand dollars, I know, kick yourself. But at the same time, if you would invest $1,000 in the Iranian currency, I think it's a rayal, depending on if you're British or English, but uh, if you would invest $1,000 in the Iranian currency in 1980, it would be worth three one-thousandths of a penny. And so I give that to you to say, you can, men, you can say, I'm going to invest in something that is only going to get better in time. And, and a woman of God will get will will only grow and, and and wisdom and beauty. But if you invest in a trophy wife, it will only be fleeting. And so God, I, I pray that God would impress upon your heart, if you're not married, to to have this kind of criteria for a woman. If you are married, it goes you, then then husbands, look at Ephesians five. Your love it says in Ephesians 5, 25, that your love for your wife helps sanctify her. That's a part of her sanctification is your love for her. And if you're a wife, it says that you are called to, to love God with, with kindness and humility and that that you will grow into this kind of woman as well. So let, let's, let's wrap up here. Our takeaway for us all. Ultimately, this passage that talks about wisdom she, this is a personification of Lady Wisdom, but it's also a personification of the church of Jesus Christ. That 
when, when God fully redeems us and fully adopts us in heaven, we will be this. But God calls us to be this increasingly. Um, we're called to be faithful to our husband, Christ. We're called to be industrious and diligent. We're called to laugh at the future because God is sovereign. We're called to be generous to the poor. Redeem, Church of the Redeemer is. And it's interesting. You may say, well, how are we supposed to be in, industrious or diligent? Um, while we were down in the church in Belize, the, the, it's a second world country. And so one of the things they're looking at is to try to help raise the, the wealth, create wealth for their, their, their church. And so one thing the pastor's done in the past is he bought a sewing machine and brought it into the church. And then a few wives teach other wives and mothers how to sew so that they, because every, it's a, it's a English, it was an English colony, so everybody that goes to school has to wear uniforms. And those uniforms have to be hemmed and they have to be modified or they have to be put together um, if they're ripped. And so that usually is about $50 in Belize money. And so if they can create this system of saying, come to our church and we will sew um, your uniform for you, then that creates wealth. And that wealth then grows in the congregation. And that's one of the things they're looking at. Now, in the first world church, we don't even think about that. But that's one way that the church is being industrious for, for the body of Christ. Um, also, Galatians 6.10, you, you see the concentric relationships. It says, let us do good to all, but especially the household of faith. So we're called to do good to our community, but especially the church with one another, and especially our own household. So this one takeaway is that we're called, Redeemer is called to look like this Proverbs 31 woman in many ways, because we are the bride of Christ. Well, then you ask one other thing. of this, this, this also points, this woman has a husband, and we have a husband, and that is Jesus Christ. Um, 1 Corinthians 1, 27 let me look it up in my other Bible here. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 30. It says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world that are not, that he might nullify the things that are. Verse 29, That no man should boast before God, but that his doing you, by in his doing you, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us the wisdom of God and the righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So Jesus Christ actually is our wisdom. Jesus Christ actually is the one that makes us truly virtuous, truly vulnerable, truly wise, and truly, I'd say, strong at that point. So Christ is our husband. Christ does sanctify us. Um, and some other verses that we don't have time to go into right now, but you can write down Colossians 2, 3. Um, in Christ are, are the hidden treasures of wisdom. Um, Matthew eleven eighteen through 19. Christ actually identifies with Lady Wisdom there. And I mentioned this earlier, Ephesians 5, 25 through 28. A husband's love and sacrifice helps sanctify his wife, just like Christ's sacrifice sanctifies the church. Lastly, let me just say this, that wisdom um, makes a woman beautiful, not makeup. And as we pursue God as a church, 
we will grow in beauty as well. And I pray that for our church. I pray that even for the children that are here today, that a decade from now, two decades from now, as they're walking down the aisle, they would choose a mate that epitomizes this, that is a person. Their value system is based on their godliness. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for Thank you for light. You say that um, you are the light of the world and, and you, you give light and you illuminate things around us so that we understand the order of, of life and we understand how things are put together, how they work, and we're not blind. Um, God, increasingly give us insight into this passage and insight to our own selves of how we need to grow. I, I know that no woman epitomizes all these things of Proverbs 31 any more than any church epitomizes the, being the, the beautiful bride of Christ. But you've declared that we are the beautiful bride of Christ without spot or blemish, and we're called to live in light of that. And likewise, God, you've declared that these, these girls and these women are that Proverbs 31, and that they're now increasingly called to live like that. And that, men, we're called to up into that as well. Father, thank you for uh, your words of life. May they be life to us. In your name, amen.